You're listening to the Grassroots Church Podcast. We're a Jesus-centered community in Thunder Bay, Ontario. You can learn how to participate more by going to our website at grassroots.church. Let's just open up in a word of prayer before we dive in today. Jesus, we thank you that you welcome us to you. Um, despite the moments that we might not feel particularly connected, um, in moments where we're so busy with uh, the busyness of life. Um, and yeah, God, we just, we come to you. We ask that you would speak to us through your spirit. Um, we trust that you are interested in our lives and you care. In Jesus' name, amen. So my name is Vincent, um, for those of you who don't know me, and um, I'm, I'm privileged to be able to share it today. Uh, Steve already mentioned this in the announcements, but for those of you who don't know, as a church, we've been looking at these five markers of a Jesus-centered new reformation um, as we engage with the Jesus Collective. So. I won't go into that too much, um, but for those of you who may have missed the introduction, the idea behind it is every 500 years or so, the church may go through a significant kind of reformation. And um, where we're asking this question of what's at the heart of Christianity and how does it apply in today's context? Um, the Jesus Collective and, and kind of where we're going with this is that if we're having a Jesus-centered approach, then um, we can have theological differences, but we're, 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 our orientation is towards seeking Jesus, and that's kind of a unifying factor. So what does that mean in practice? Well, there's five different markers that they've come up with to try and put words to this concept. And today, next slide, please. Oh, or does this work? Maybe not. It is on. I think it's green. I'll try again, though. There's an on button. Bear with. Okay. Um, we're looking at uh, this statement, which is one part of it, which says, to be saved includes belonging to a community under Jesus called to live the life of the future now. Uh, full disclosure, I'm going to be drawing a lot from the Jesus Collective podcast. Worth checking out. If you're interested, they go into this in more detail. So I'm going to do my best to present um, some of the key points here. Before I kind of dive deeper into that, though, I want to share a li little bit about myself. Um, I grew up in a non-religious family. So my parents had identified either as being agnostic or atheist. Um, but I was introduced to church at a young age and eventually uh, came to believe in Christianity for myself. Um, even so, by the time I hit university, I had lots of questions. I was asking myself, well, is this really what I believe? Do I just believe this because it's what I grew up in? What if I grew up in a different context in the, elsewhere in the world, but I still believe in Christianity? And am I really seeking truth or am I just going with a belief that makes me feel comfortable because it's familiar? And at the same time, I started engaging with a Christian community that also had lots of questions of a different nature. And they uh, were people who very much identified as being Christian, but held very different beliefs than I did, at least on the surface. 
They had different ideas around ethical issues. They had different ideas around sexuality. Um, and I started to think, well, I was taught if you're a Christian and you believe in the Bible, then you believe X, Y, and Z. And yet these are people who say they're Christian, but they don't believe some of the same things. So what is it that really defines us as Christians? Like, what's the core bit that I can say to someone, yes, we're fellowshipping together in Christ, um, despite certain differences? How do, I, how do I nail that down? Maybe nailing down is too affirmative, but how do I move towards that? Um, so I'm just sharing that because that's a bit of kind of my background and where I'm coming from. Um, and I think it relates to kind of where we're at as a church right now, asking some of these same questions. So circling back to the five markers, let's unpack this one a little bit more. So to be saved includes belonging to a community under Jesus, called to live the life of the future now. So if I were to ask, what does it mean to be a Christian? You might say something like, uh, well, it's to be saved. But saved for what? And from what? And then for what? Um, my son, I have a toddler. He's three. And we're listening to a song by Lauren Daigle. And there's a lyric and it says, it's true. I will rescue you. My son, who's very much interested in firefighters right now, said, dad. She said, he will rescue, or I will rescue. Who, who's she being rescued from? What's happening? Said, well, um, she's saying that God will rescue her from... Let me get back to you on that. <laughs> and apparently even toddlers are asking this question. And if many of us grew up in this kind of Western individualistic um, Christianity, we might have heard something like this, that at its core, God has saved us individually from eternal punishment. We make a decision at one point in time, and we then now have right relationship with God. And I think if this becomes our sole understanding of Christianity, then we might have too small a vision of salvation. And I don't mean to say that, uh, I think that this um, understanding comes from a, an important place historically. It's a response to, uh, in part, this notion that we have to perform certain rituals to be able to be right with God and say, no, if you make a decision to follow or, or to believe in Jesus, by his grace, we are saved. But when we look at the story of the Bible and what Jesus teaches, what is taught about salvation? So, for example, there is the good news of personal salvation through some of the New Testament. But more often you hear the language of the good news or the gospel. It's the good news of the kingdom. Jesus, he says, repent for, um, and he alludes to this idea that we ha there's an important, there's a broken relationship with God and we need to repair it. But he doesn't mostly say, repent, for then you can have eternal life with God. He says, repent for the kingdom of God is near. And you get this sense that what God is trying to rescue here is our relationship with him individually, but it's more than that. It's also this whole image and this whole um, plan he had for all of creation. In the podcast, the guest, Dr. Paul Eddy, points out that in uh, Genesis 1, 
27, it talks about us being made in God's image. It says, well, what's God's image? And we get the sense that, well, if it's, we know there's a triune God, and, and um, where there's mutually submissive, nurturing, self-sacrificial love there. And then he makes humans in that image. So the idea is, as humans, we're made to participate in that kind of agape love together. And sin breaks that. And so God is trying to rescue our relationship with him as much as our relationships with one another. And if that's true, then I think that that shapes the way we understand the role of community, Christian community. That Christian community isn't only an activity or a service that we attend, but it's part of the process of how God is healing and restoring all of humanity. It's, it's where we um, participate in that aspect of salvation. So let's um, look at in the early Christians, the way that this played out, one, one aspect of this is this incredible unity, despite things that would otherwise separate. So you see in Galatians 3.28, for example, this notion that there's neither Jew nor Gentile. Sorry, you could, or I can, thank you. Um, neither slave nor free, male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And to our modern ears, that probably doesn't mean too much. Um, but let's keep in mind that these were clearly defined um, groups that would have just been understood, were distinct. For example, some Jews would have never stepped foot into a Gentile's home in order to be faithful. And yet, people from all these different groups were gathering in the same house as if these barriers in society didn't exist. And I wonder what that would look like in our context. Like maybe it would be something like Paul saying, there's neither liberal nor conservative neither anti-vaxxers nor vaccine proponents, neither jocks nor nerds nor band geeks. You're all one in Christ. What would it look like if people looked at our community and saw that? Are we marked by an incredible unity through Christ? I would love to see part of the testimony of grassroots being that we can have significant disagreements on certain topics, but because we look at each other and say, you're my brother and you're my sister in Christ, let's talk about these things that are important in a loving and humble way. So Christian community, a part of that, this image is how God unifies us despite the ways that we might otherwise divide ourselves. Another aspect or another way of thinking about why is Christian community essential is I don't actually know if we can follow Jesus's teaching outside of relationships with one another. And this comes up a lot in the podcast. Um, I'll just try skipping the slide here. Oh, yeah. Um, And what I mean by that is community is the pl- a, one of the main places where a mirror gets held up to ourselves. And we realize that we need the Spirit's work. 
And I think the contrast would be a, a consumeristic approach to church, where if church is just a service or an activity, we can go to it, it's kind of transactional, where I'll get something out of it, I might offer something back to church, um, but that's it. It's transactional, but it's not necessarily transformational. And um, when we look at Jesus' teaching, though, and we see some of the ways in which he ta- teaches about what the, the core is of, of living life, um, if you look at the Sermon on the Mount, for example, he doesn't say, okay, you're saved, now to be a Christian, the key things to do are to read certain Bible passages and memorize them, although that's important, and he knew scripture inside and out. He didn't say it's now to pray X number of times a day. He said, when someone does something that you think is wrong, first, look at the log in your own eye before trying to point out the sawdust in someone else's. He says things like, not only should you not act in anger towards other people, but you need to dig deep into your heart and realize that harboring hate is destructive. All of these teachings assume that we're in relationship with other people. And you kind of get this idea as you read through the Sermon on the Mount and other teachings that what Jesus is interested in restoring here is our relationships with one another. He calls us to be his children and he wants us to have good sibling relationships. So I think where um, this kind of, the rubber meets the road, so to speak, is how do we see and address conflict? Sorry for the feedback. And when we encounter conflict, when someone says something that hurts us, or maybe it's just as simple as there's certain people we find difficult to interact with, do we think to ourselves, ah, if only we could get past this, then we would experience authentic community? Or do we realize this is the work of Christian community? When a decision is made at church, that we disagree with or were hurt because of the process that, that didn't feel took it, um, valued certain uh, views or opinions. Do we see this um, as, hmm, I wonder if this is really the church where um, I'll get the most out of? Or do we see this as an opportunity to humbly engage in sharing our views uh, lovingly? I was working at a church summer camp that I grew up in back when I was 16. And I was running this day camp, uh, really loved the job. And my uh, youth pastor at the time came up to me one day and he said, hey, Vincent, another pastor and I have an observation. I was just wanting to run by you, see what you think. I said, sure, I've got ideas. He said, well, we've been noticing that in the way you've been interacting with some of the volunteers, you seem to be thinking of yourself quite highly and are kind of prideful. And, I, and he was very gentle. He said, that was our observation. How do you see it? I said, I don't see it at all, but thanks. <laughs> and then five minutes later, I thought, oh, that was a really prideful response. <laughs> um, 
But that's one of, like, that stands out in my memory as this moment of gratitude, looking back, where, yeah, like, that should be what church is, holding up a mirror to ourselves and allowing and even expecting that kind of feedback to happen. Um, I hope that that meant that I interacted with the volunteers a little differently in the following few days um, and, and a better experience of, again, like, what is this life that Jesus calls us to together? In the podcast, Dr. Paul Eddy says, if we have a consumeristic vision of church, our, one of our main goals is to try and find the perfect church. Um, opposed to just asking, like, who are the people I'm supposed to journey with in life right now? And he says, but let's, let's just run that thought experiment. Let's say I'm looking for the perfect church. And he says, and I find it. The teaching is exactly what I like. The people are great. Um, and I join the church. Then what happens? It's not perfect anymore. And he says, I'm serious that I need to remind myself of that. Because if I don't see that each of us need a lot of work to be refined into the image that God has for us, then I'm going to be approaching church very differently than if I see church as one of the main areas God is working um, his refining work and, and calling us to that ethic of sacrificial love that Jesus has um, called us to. I do want to add a caveat that I think there are good reasons to leave a church. And uh, especially if there is abuse happening in church, I don't think it should be tolerated. I think people need to leave and get help. And I want to be really clear about that. But what I'm trying to get at is what's in our heart as we ask that question. Um, Do we see church fundamentally as people we're committed to journeying with? And there may be good reasons to move to a different um, group of people that we're journeying with. But that's a very different question than just seeing church as only an activity. I'm already saved, and so I don't need to participate in a deep way. Now, if we look at this statement, it says, to be saved includes belonging to a community under Jesus, called to live the life of the future now. So I'd just like to touch on that latter part a little bit. We've um, talked about this a, a, a bit before, too. But the the kingdom, the good news of the kingdom, there is some sense that it's in the future and it's coming in its fullness. Well, it's not here yet and we can tell just by looking around the world and looking in our own hearts. Um, But there's also a sense as we read Jesus and some of the New Testament writers that the kingdom is also here. Even in in the way Jesus teaches us to pray, God, would your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven? There's some sense that the, the... the ushering of this kingdom has already begun. And we're kind of living in this overlap of this old world and this new creation that's happening. And I'm I'm bringing this up because I think that's another key aspect of what community is about. It's about participating in how God is recreating um, us to live in a more Jesus-centered way. Oh, yeah. So very briefly, we talked a little bit about how salvation is bigger than ourselves. It's about saving the whole world and our relationships with one another as well as with God. I've pointed out a few ideas around what Christ-centered or Jesus-centered community looks like as far as unity and learning to self-sacrifice and also that uh, we participate as a church in the Spirit's movement and how he's bringing things, making things new. So what does that mean for us?
Um, I'm putting, I'll get back to that slide. When we say a community under Jesus, for some of us, when we hear under something, we think it's like this oppressive kind of image. Um, and sometimes I get that reaction. But then I think about Jesus and how he led by self-sacrifice. And I realize that a community under Jesus is a community under his love, where we're seeking him and we're submitting to his love. And I wonder if maybe this is the place to start. If you're like me and you hear a sermon like this and you think, okay, I've got to try harder. Like, who are the people that I need to connect with more? And what are the areas in my life that I need to really examine myself for? And, um, you know, if, if only we all could work really hard towards making community happen, then it would happen. And I think that this under Jesus part is really key because it, it starts with how we understand how God sees us. And I would say that to the extent that we understand God, God's love for us, to that extent, we'll be able to extend that love to our community. And in the early church, what made it possible to break those barriers was the notion that how rich is the love that God has lavished on us, that we should be called his children. And so practically, I wonder, what, how do we remind ourselves of God's love? And I think that's going to look different for different people. Is it taking a walk out in nature? Is it meeting with people who we know care for us deeply? Is it noticing moments in parenting when our children, if you have any children, are maybe really frustrating and yet you love them and you remember that that's how much God loves us? Here's another question. How is God shaping me, shaping us, to love more self-sacrificially through community? Is there someone that I need to forgive? And maybe the starting point for that is just praying honestly about the hurt we've experienced and asking God what the next steps are. Is there someone I disagree with and I kind of just avoid? Maybe the next step is asking for the spirit's strength to listen with generosity, not trying to make a point. Maybe it's just making ourselves known in the community and being a bit more vulnerable with who we are. Uh, Dietrich Bonhoeffer says, he who loves his dream of a community more than he loves the Christian community itself becomes a destroyer of the latter, even though his personal intentions may be ever so honest and earnest and sacrificial. What are the ways that we can love the people who are already around us more than we love the dream of what we could become? And lastly, I think that the kingdom piece is really important because otherwise we can just think that what we need to work towards and what God wants is for us to have really good friendships with one another just within these four walls. We can think, okay, great community means good teaching. It means having supportive friend groups. It means having great potlucks um, without asking the question of where is God's spirit moving and how is he calling us to, to follow into that? I don't know what that looks like for us. Is it caring for the urban poor? Is it making a space for those who may be materially wealthy but spiritually hungry? Is it working with students? Is it caring for children? I don't know. But I think we need to be asking, 
where is God's spirit working and inviting us into joining? So um, that wraps up the bulk of the statement of to be saved includes belonging to a community under Christ, living the life of the future now. And um, I'd just like to invite all of us, including myself, to consider how we can love each other more than the dreams of what we could be in the future, um, knowing that that's part of how God is restoring heaven and earth. Uh, let's, let's close in a word of prayer. Jesus, we um, thank you that you care enough about us, that you don't want to leave us um, the way that we are. And God, I look around this world and my own heart and my own life, and I see just how scared I can be of conflict sometimes, and I see just how much I want to avoid really polarized views on things and um, how it's much more comfortable to see church just as an activity, but not as the people that you call us to learn to love. Um, And so, Lord, we ask for your spirit. We ask for your spirit's guidance and power um, to dream and to to live out this dream that you have for us, whatever that may be. Um, God, thank you that you first loved us. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks so much, Vincent. That's just such a powerful word this morning. and one of, um, one of those three questions, that first question you asked um, was, how do we remind ourselves of God's love? And uh, I mean, you know, of course, the center of our faith as followers of Jesus um, begins at the cross. And we, we look to this perfect demonstration of self-sacrificial love that Jesus, uh, that Jesus gave us and then asks us to follow suit every day, uh, to pick up our own cross and to follow him. Um, and so, you know, one of, these, uh, one of these practices of the church that have been going on since, uh, well, since the Last Supper, I suppose, was this simple practice of taking a bread and taking, a, taking the wine and um, remembering what it represents in the self-sacrificial love of Jesus by his death and his resurrection. Um, and so this morning I'm going to uh, invite the musicians to, to begin playing in a second here. I think I'm going to read just a quick passage from Luke chapter 22, a familiar passage for many of us as we um, take the bread and the cup. This is Jesus speaking at the Last Supper. And he says, And when the hour came, he reclined at the table and the apostles with him. And he said to them, I've earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And so then he takes a cup. And when he had given thanks, he says, Take this, divide it among yourselves. For I tell you that from now on, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. He took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it, and he gave it to them, saying, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And likewise, the cup after they had eaten, saying, This cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. And so this morning, we will carry on in this tradition that has been going on for 2,000 years now, followers of Jesus all over the world doing the same act, simple, simple act, Um, And so as music begins, I invite you to take a minute, think about the words that uh, our brother Vincent shared this morning, 
and then um, feel free to make your way to the front, take a piece of bread, dip it in the juice. Uh, we have a gluten-free option, and for those who are uncomfortable with either of these processes, we still have a number of leftover little plastic cups that you can take as well. So I invite you to the table.